Welcome to the Refresh and Restore Weekly Devotion, brought to you by JustKeithHarris.com. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you are refreshed and restored through our Bible study today. Welcome to this week's Refresh and Restore podcast, where we are continuing to walk through the book of Colossians in our study called Jesus Overall. We're moving on. We're still in Colossians 1, 15 through 23, but we're continuing through that. Let's look at that text again for today. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Greetings, sojourners. I hope this week's Bible study finds you well and safe. As I wrote this today, I was at home sitting and writing where I could see out the window. There was an expectation of inclement weather. There were tornado warnings, flash flood warnings. Uh, The tornado siren in our town went off multiple times. But as I was writing, there was an expectation of things to come or things that wouldn't come. Maybe torrential rains would come and winds would come, or maybe they wouldn't. Maybe massive thunderstorms and tornadoes would come, or maybe they wouldn't. And as I sat there writing, I was reminded of Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Listen to what Jesus said there. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house 
on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus spoke those words as a close to the greatest sermon ever to be recorded, the Sermon on the Mount that can be found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. There are two reasons I think that those words came to my mind when writing. Number one, I was sitting there trying to organize my thoughts to continue walking through this Christ-centered hymn in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And two, if I'm honest, I was a bit scared. First reason is obvious. That's what I sat down to do. The second reason, I was scared for many reasons. If the forecasted weather had come through, it was likely that my home could be damaged or the home of family, friends, and neighbors could be damaged. And more than that, my family it was in the house with me. So if the wind and the rains had come, I could have lost one or all of them. But somehow I was able to continue and sit there and type. That somehow is called faith. Faith in the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. We saw that last week in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Faith in the one through whom all things hold together. And thinking about what we're studying today and all that we've been studying previously, faith is essential in understanding how all of it works together. As a people, We're jaded and skeptical by nature. It takes faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is in his word. It takes faith that is birthed out of a belief that we're sinners and in need of a Savior, belief that he is the only Savior. As Paul said to Titus, our blessed hope, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. We began walking through what we'll just call the Colossian hymn last week. Verses 15 through 17 lay the foundation for everything we're looking at today. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus is God and rightfully has all authority, all dominion, and all power. Verse 16 illustrates how there is in all of creation not, he's the only thing that can remotely attain such power and glory. In fact, all creation finds its being and continuation in him. And then in verse 17, we see it clarified that everything he created is still held together by his power. Today, as we tackle verses 18 through 20, it, I want us to look at how last week's verses point us to the reconciliation of God and sinners like you and me. So let's go ahead and dive in. First, we'll look at the first part of verse 18 that says, And he is the head of the body, the church. You know, one of the aspects about Jesus and beliefs about him that I believe is often overlooked is what those beliefs mean to those who believe them versus what they mean to those who don't believe them. 
first and foremost, it's got to be understood that while we hold, uh, that Christians hold that the Word of God is important and the truths it holds are of the utmost importance, God's Word is true whether we believe it or not. For the church, His Word is where we find everything that can be known about Him, but for the unbelieving world, it just seems like foolishness. The beginning of verse 18 helps us to see how the Colossian hymn fits into the lives of believers. Those who are saved are part of what is known as the church or the body of Christ. Simply put, Jesus is the head of the church. He is ultimately its sole leader and guides the church through his word and by his spirit. One of the things that I notice about this verse is the and at the beginning of it. It points us back to verse 17 that tells us he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So the and here in verse 18 tells us that just as he is set over all creation and is actively holding all of it together, it's the same in the church. Look at the way that Paul describes it to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church at Colossae and our churches today need to remember this. We're not the next that turn the head. Christ, the head, is in the lead. The image created here is a body with members, with, with parts. So if we find ourselves following something else, that's idolatry. And if we're following something else other than the head, other than Christ, we can no longer call ourselves part of the church because we've dismembered it by severing ourselves from it. There were false teachers seeking to do that in Colossae, and there are still people today, false teachers today, who seek to tear down and ravage the body of Christ. We would do well to look to the head, to Jesus, and remember his words from Matthew 7 that we looked at earlier. The wise man, the man whose house is not washed away by the torrents of the storms, is only wise because he hears the words of Christ and does them. Let's look at the end of verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I write often about how we have no ability within ourselves to save or to receive glory. But Jesus is worthy of his titles, not just because of his status since before the foundation of the world, but because he continually proves himself to be worthy. To say that he is the beginning points to him being the origin of everything that we know. But to say that he is the firstborn from the dead highlights what he's done for his church. I recall David Platt telling about a conversation between a Christian missionary 
and two religious leaders, one uh, Muslim and the other Hindu. They were concerned that some of their people were forsaking Islam and Hinduism and following Christ. So they came to talk to the missionary. They presented him with a metaphor that they believed would convince him to leave their territory, leave their town, so that everyone could just keep on believing what they were before he brought Jesus in and messed things up. These two religious leaders were in agreement that religion could be understood through the metaphor of a mountain. In that metaphor, life is man's journey up that mountain, trying to get to uh, God in his lofty paradise. In, in the metaphor, there are many paths, they argued, that to get up the mountain, but that the destination ultimately was the same. They felt quite confident in their presentation until the missionary told them that Christian, Christianity was not like that at all. Christianity, he told them, was different because man was completely and utterly unable to make it up the mountain. And God, rather than just condemning them for their inability to make it to him, God came down the mountain and made a way for man. Basically, carried man up the mountain to be with him where he abides. The religious leaders were disappointed and left to try to make it up the mountain by their own power. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, you see, because in Christ, God became flesh and dwelt among us, as it says in John 1.14. He lived a full and sinless life on earth, despite encountering all the temptations that we do. And as 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it so eloquently, for our sake God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is, he died the death we deserve to make a way for us. More importantly, he did not stay dead, but he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He's the firstborn from the dead because he's the first one to live again. That's why he's preeminent, supreme, sovereign, superlative. Paul illustrates this beautifully in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, where he says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He has always been worthy because of who he is to everything that exists. He remains preeminent because he never changes and proves himself again and again. That's good news. Now we move to our last two verses for today, verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
We've already seen in verse 15 that Jesus is fully God. But here we see an example of why that is so important. It's because of reconciliation. Reconciliation means to restore harmony or friendship between two entities formerly divided. When we use this word in the present day, we use it to describe a relationship where some wrong done by one of the parties has caused a rift in the relationship and the rift is somehow healed. It could be as simple as two friends allowing a misunderstanding to come between them and upon clearing the issue up, reconciling and renewing their friendship. It could also be used to describe a married couple deciding to stay together and weathering the storm of some indiscretion or issue that could have ended the marriage. In the case of God and man, we caused the rift. Our sin did the dividing. I think that Paul in Romans 5 does a better job than I ever could painting a picture of God's love despite our sin and what his desire to reconcile cost him. Look at Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, our sin made us enemies of God. God has wrath toward sin and wrath toward his enemies. Now, I know that this is a scary prospect, not to mention an extremely unpopular topic to discuss in Bible studies or sermons. But it's necessary to understand what God did for us in Christ and why it's so important that in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, God would have been absolutely just if he had wiped the slate clean when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He could have smoked them right there been done with a whole lot of humanity in one righteous and just smiting. He didn't have to rescue Noah and his family from his wrath in Genesis chapter 6. He would be totally righteous and just if he had never forgiven me of my sins or reconciled me to himself. Why? Because I'm a sinner. He has wrath toward sin and he has wrath toward his enemies. But instead of being only righteous and just, he provided a means for reconciliation that would not compromise what is right. He decided on grace, mercy, and love and came as 
a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice where God himself paid the penalty for the sins of the world on the cross. There's a price to pay for sin. It had a cost. It's different than merely declaring that the stormy sea be calmed because he already laid out a penalty for sin all the way back in the beginning, and that penalty for sin is death. Yet Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, did what I love how Colossians 2.14 describes this. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands and set it aside, nailing it to the cross. God did it all. To explain it a bit differently, check out what the Tyndale Bible Dictionary says about reconciliation. Describes it as an altered relationship now existing between God and sinners by Christ's interposing sacrifice on behalf of fallen humanity. The point of the reconciliation is that God, for Christ's sake, now feels towards sinners as though they had never offended him. The reconciliation is complete and perfect, covering mankind both extensively and intensively, that is, all sinners, all sin. The cause of the rupture between God and sinners has now been healed, a truth wholly independent of humanity's mood or attitude. While sinners were still the objects of God's just wrath, Christ, in full harmony with the gracious will of his heavenly Father, interposed himself for their sakes, for the restoration of harmony. You know, over the last few weeks, we've brought in a few old hymns as illustrations. Look at this illustration of reconciliation. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. All I know is that he could have poured his wrath out upon me, but he loved me instead. He could have made war on me as his enemy, but instead made peace by the blood of his cross. That kind of love at such a cost as, cost as the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, that kind of love is worth singing about. More than that, a God like that is surely preeminent because there is none like him in all of existence. As we wrap up, I, I keep thinking about Jesus' words from the beginning of our study today, from the end of the Sermon on the Mount. They came to my mind because of thoughts of wind and rain, but Jesus was talking about so much more. He says that we will either build on a bedrock of faith, a, a foundation that's not determined by our own ability or strength but His, or we're going to build a foundation determined by what we can and cannot accomplish on our own. He says that his words, listening to him, and most importantly, obeying what he tells us, ensure that when the rains, floods, and winds come, and they will, 
the foundation of his word will never fail, fall away. Those who build on him will not fall because they've been founded on the rock. Look, listen to these beautiful words from the 1855 hymn, Be Still My Soul. Be still my soul, though waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he lived below. What amazing truths are held in those lines. Jesus has rebuked storms, telling them to be still, and he's allowed storms to rage. He's parted a sea, piled a river into a giant heap, walked across water like it was solid ground. There are many who are skeptical of such things, but I believe them. I, I have faith, and that faith is rooted in my rejoicing that I'm a sinner who's been reconciled to God by the blood of his cross. Without him, there's no hope. Without him, I'm just dead in my sins. The more I read of him in his word, the more I see my sin, and the more I see him for who he is and me for who I am, I'm thankful and humbled that he would love somebody like me. The storm's still raging a little farther east, and the storms of life still rage as well. But the words of the Colossian hymn, words that proclaim a God who died yet lives, a Messiah who took the wrath I deserve while giving me love and grace, giving me hope. Sojourner, I pray they do the same for you also. Thank you again for listening. You can find the written copy of this devotion, complete with links to the scripture passages that were cited throughout, on our website, justkeithharris.com, as well as other writings, projects, and Bible studies. Refresh and Restore is based out of Peter and John's sermon in Acts 3 and 4, specifically Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, where Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture passages are cited from the English Standard Version. JustKeithHarris.com is affiliated with Christ Community Church in Grenada, Mississippi. If you would like to contact us, you may do so through our website.